Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. You know, the show itself expanded the minds of so many people out there who had these ideas of how women of the trans experience are supposed to move through the world. Like, no longer are we these stereotypical ideas in people's minds. We're actually human. And people are saying that we have minds, hearts, we have a pumping uh, uh, blood system, and you know we have all of those things. We're not just these caricatures. We're more than just that. FX's pose has come to an end, but for Emmy-nominated star MJ Rodriguez, the impact of the show, especially for the trans community, is forever. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to MJ Rodriguez about her Emmy nomination, the third and final season of Pose, and how it ended, as well as what's next for her. Later in the episode, we also chat with the executive producers behind Netflix's Emmy-nominated series Cobra Kai. But first, on the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast Roundtable, we look at the Variety Talk and Variety Sketch categories and the controversies surrounding both. It's all next on Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey, everyone, back again with your favorite roundtable, the one you look forward to every single week. I'm Variety's Michael Schneider, joined, as always, by Danielle Terciano. Hello, Danielle. Should I silent wave again? I'm just going <laughs> to. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. In person, Jazz Tanke. Hello. And Back in the hood once again, Clayton Davis. Welcome back, sir. In Los Angeles still, where the heat continues to rise. The heat is on. You said still like you're going to leave. You're not going to leave. You are here now. Get used to it. No way I survived this year with this heat. No way. Like, I don't make it out of this. Clayton, you're never going to go to Palm Springs because it was 120 when we went for the weekend. It's not even livable. It's not even worth it. I'm alive. Yeah, there was a pool, right? Like, but but why would you go to Palm Springs in August, Jazz? Yeah. To go see Andy Samberg and get stuck totally. in the house. Yeah, I went in the cave, right? Uh, um, anyway. Yeah, and you've just been doing this roundtable over and over again every day for the past <laughs> decade. <laughs> and it never changes. John Oliver always wins. It's like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Will it ever change? Well... We are talking, speaking of John Oliver, this week, let's hit some of the variety categories, uh, including variety talk, which 
barely ever changes. We we do have the return of Conan this time out, but uh, otherwise uh, familiar faces. Uh, the incumbent last week tonight with John Oliver. We got the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. We've got Jimmy Kimmel Live. Uh, and of course, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Clayton, start with you this time. What's even happening here with these things? Um, early on, I thought it was it was looking like a Trevor year. I thought he was. I thought he had a really good pandemic year, but then now I think it's not the case anymore. So I don't know how much sentimental feelings will go into Conan. So it may just default to John Oliver again. I'm pretty sure. I feel like pretty sure it's not Colbert or Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they probably, to some degree, cancel each other out. I mean, I would argue that Stephen Colbert just had an awesome variety cover story. So that... we did help that. <laughs> you, know, you do get the the official variety bump trademark, but uh, yeah, it's it's this category needs a shakeup. I, I have said in the past, maybe we should just have everyone nominated so at least you have a chance to vote for, for everyone that could mix things up a little bit, or John Oliver would still win. I don't know. But, I mean, Danielle, is this a category that even excites you these days? No. I mean, listen, it hasn't excited me ever because it's always the same. And that's what bothers me about it. You know, I mean... Also, it bothers me that the one woman in late night got bumped this year. Like, just why? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they had all their reasons as to why, but it's just like, I don't know. It just feels like backward progress. Um, it's because it's, I'm not saying give it to her because she's a woman. Her show is good, but it's also like it helps to have diverse voices. And, you know, she was one of few diverse voices that used to make it in Samantha B. Obviously, Trevor Noah has a very unique perspective, you know, not even being American. And so he still made it in. And that's great. And I was kind of hopeful, you know, like Clayton said in the beginning, thinking it could be his year. I was kind of hopeful for that. But there hasn't been the buzz around him that I wanted to see to believe he could carry it all the way to the finish line. Um, and I do feel... Like it's just going to be John Oliver again and nothing against John Oliver, but it's like, mm -hmm. dude, we've, we've done this song and dance before we've been in this loop for however many years. And I would like to see something different, especially in the, a year where see, so many people spring. pivoted. That's where, I was, that's where I was going with that. And I was, I was trying to remember how many years it was for the movie compared to how many years it was for the win. And I was just like, I can't, but, um, you know, especially in a year where there were so many changes to the formats because of the pandemic and people did some really unique things. I would like to see one of those things rewarded. Yeah. And there's tw and there's tw and there are 22 submissions like there's only 22 eligible things to choose from. And the fact that we still get the same standard ish list is what makes it kind of disheartening. And Mike, you're right. It needs it needs a shakeup somewhere like listen i know it got canceled but like if they would have went lily sing like i'd have been like oh all right at least we got like something different but they're just it's just the same stuff well i i would have gone with Jesus. i would have gone with Jesus samaro oh, over lily sing yes. which unfortunately yeah. her show did not live up to expectations or hopes but come on Jesus samaro who by the way we've talked about this before should be hosting should be hosting the emmys this year but jazz i mean what do you think it's the buzz. The buzz is around John, which, you know, there is going to be no shakeup. It is that Palm Springs buzz that, you know, 
the the circle of that. It, yeah, I mean, there was. If you go back and look at what was done, how they pivoted to the pandemic, and then we get to the nominations, and it's like, really, this is this is who you've chosen. Come on, but. Yeah, I think it's John Oliver. I don't, you know, sadly, you know, Stephen Colbert, Colbert should have, should be higher, but I don't know. I, I see him like at the, in the bottom, like with Jimmy Kimmel, sadly. Um, well, it's it's tough because they're all fine hosts. I mean, they're all, I mean, Conan, this is his final year, uh, so it's the last chance. It's sort of nice to see him nominated again. But, you know, part of the problem is these are shows that carry on for decades. And, and so how do you how do you keep this category vibrant when these shows you know, do stay in the ether forever um, and, and no, no shade against them because they're all great shows, but that's where like, I constantly come back to, well, then maybe you don't have a nomination uh, period. Maybe you just let all talk shows in so that if one show suddenly just has an amazing year and people really feel strongly about Jesus and Marrow or what have you, then there's still a chance come, voting time for for the actual winner that maybe one of those could break through but why why do all you think that trevor sort of lost the momentum is it just because he he took a long break no i i think i i just i i was hoping that when we got to this point like i i i was expecting a, a groundswell to kind of come around him and people would start kind of saying it out loud like it's time for trevor and that doesn't seem to have happened. But also, in fairness, it could be just kind of a stale feeling on the category in general, and no one's just excited about it. But I, but you put up an interesting point, Mike. I think it's as we see with like uh, the Daily Show, the Late Show in particular. Like those are established franchises that switch hosts, but the 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 franchise is there intact, and there's and so I, I don't. Hopefully, Samantha B will never leave. But if she did leave, does Full Frontal stay? I think there's something to be said about original shows that really are doing something original in their, in their uh, perspective of covering late night. And uh, we're not seeing that enough. I think we're seeing the same stale, ongoing thing over and over again. And I think a lot of voters are not even watching all of these shows, if any of these shows, like part of, I'm, I say this for a lot of categories, but I really think part of the issue with this particular one is that because it's such a specific regimented format, you don't have to watch every episode, but if you don't watch any, you're, you're going to miss the new thing that they did that year. So when we're, when I, we were talking earlier about, you know, the pandemic and the pivots that they made and the, and the changes that then did not necessarily net out in different nominations well how many of the voters even saw the changes can, can i also just say i still feel so bad for seth myers the poor guy just never gonna he's never gonna get his, get his uh -huh. moment and he had a really good year too i thought he was gonna get in at least this year yeah, well, and this is where, you know, interestingly, these shows have found a way to sort of hack the system in doing these special one-offs and doing short form and finding ways to get nominated in other categories as well. And that's that's been sort of, uh, you know, in, in some ways, it's it's sort of like, uh, you guys are hacking the system. You shouldn't be in short form. That's your, your, or you shouldn't be taking an episode and, and making it a special. And, and But 
at the same time, I get it. That's the only way some of these shows can break out and get some attention at the Emmys since since you do have this this block that doesn't seem to move. Can I, can I ask you a question, Mike? I, and this is could be controversial because Emmys, I think, just need an overhaul in a lot of ways. Would you support a variety series category and sketch and talk go together in the same under the same roof? I mean, that's the that's the controversy that you know that that was the plan, right? Was you know merge sketch and talk back together. There's a part of me that thinks maybe sketch should just go in comedy. Um, maybe it's closer to just you know. It's it's written similarly, you know, and they're getting acting nominations. SNL. Yeah, so yeah, so maybe maybe that makes more sense than combining them with talk. Um, but you know, talk is also you know there there are only twenty two submissions, like you said, so that's a very lean category to begin with. So they, they've been grappling with this for years, and it seems like every couple of years they make a change, and then they step in it. People get pissed off, and then they move back, and you know. And this year, let's face it, sketch series that is a weak category when you only have two nominations. When there's so few submissions, they got to do something about it. And you know, this was sort of the power. Of of Lauren Michaels, they didn't want to piss off Lauren Michaels, so he still managed. They, they still managed to keep that sketch category alive this year. But they're gonna have to do something next year. You know what's and, funny? I think actually in this year, SNL probably would have made a comedy series lineup. Like like if they would if they would have kicked it out and said, right, "You're going in comedy now," probably makes it because we we there there is an evolution to everything that's happening. And I mean, the answer is not expand to eight slots. We know that now, right? Everyone's in agreement there. Like, don't give eight available spots to everyone. And, you know, we'll figure well, it out. I'm, I'm, maybe if you expand to 10 in comedy and drama, then you, you know, do I have room for sketch. I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> but I think, I think yeah, SNL would have, when, when they were talking about combining talk and sketch, I still think SNL would have made it in. I don't know if it would have no. won. And of course, like that might have angered Lauren Michaels, but... I think it would have made it in. And so like that, I mean, it, it's the way I looked at that was, well, those are very different beasts. It's all, it's unfair to compare what they do on a nightly or weekly schedule. Um, that said, it, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say the TCA thing. Like you can put talk into an informational category with some of those nonfiction series. Like it's, if you are, Yes, there is comedy in a lot of these talk shows, uh, deliveries of news, but they are also delivering news. I, there are a lot of people that get the actual headlines from these shows. So public service announcement, make it a, rename the category, combine it with some other stuff that is more yeah, uh, like, like educational like, might be strong, but you know. Well, I was going to say like a Don Lemon Tonight should be eligible if, if we're saying like these others are Don Lemon tonight would probably go in this category uh, under normal circumstances. And listen, elephant in the room, let's just say it. SNL me still lose this year anyway, because of the 50, 50 shot. It has. Right. Who knows? Uh, right, we're going right. to say it very low so they can't hear us, but it <laughs> might lose this year. Less, less is not good. <laughs> yeah. The last time we talked, I didn't think so, but the more, you know, the, cl- the closer we get, I feel like maybe, this cl- you know, this maybe. close to predicting it, this close to m- making the switch. Michael, Michael Schneider has been really fishing on that. And I think, I think I'm, I'm buying it a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a possibility when it's a 50, 50 slot and 51% say, 
Lauren's got more Emmys than he ever knows what to to do with. Let's make a statement. Let's like celebrate a new fresh voice, a new fresh show. If fifty one percent vote for Robin Thede, boom, it's it's the it's the upset, and I. I would not be shocked. I think it, we'll we'll still be talking about it. We'll still be talking about you know uh, David Slay and Goliath, but uh, it's it's much easier when you, it's it's fifty fifty. If it had been three in in the category, forget it. SNL still wins. But when it's just you know one and one, that that's going to be a really interesting one to see. Clint, are you going to change? I see that look in your eye. Of like, oh, I, I'm, I'm telling you, like I I think I think I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> like you know what? It's fine. Like you know, I'll, I'll get one wrong on the night. Then, haha! Ha, I'll just say. Well, <laughs> hold on. That's, right? <laughs> that, that's a creative arts category now. So, do you even count that? Oh God, yes. Like whatever you can predict, predict. I think okay. we'll just go for it. It's I will fun. say that would make the creative arts ceremonies way oh my more God, exciting. Yes. Yeah, way more exciting. And now, I mean, you know, not for nothing. It would probably it would probably force a change. Also, I think if. Black Lady Sketch Show beat SNL, then Lauren Blake, actually, let's bring this back to the table about uh, changing everything again. <laughs> let's talk about this. Oh, I don't like this anymore. Just in comedy, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Just in comedy. Basically, can SNL just have its own category? Best SNL episode of the year, yeah. Emmy. Yeah. I mean, to, to be fair, it is. It's a singular thing because it is a live weekly show. You know, we've got Variety Special Live, but that's not weekly. So it, yeah. it really is kind of in its own category given what they have to pull off. That said... Well, you know, come on. I, Hamilton, come on. And, Hamilton and SNL have really oh, muddied muddy the waters this year. Yeah, I'm not. And I'm not. I'm not suggesting it should be in the pre-recorded category. Or the sorry, the variety <laughs> no, special category. Of, yeah, of all the programs this year, yeah. those are the ones yeah. that I've. I've, I've yeah, been we're like, we're all starting yeah. to take a little bit more notice of like this is weird when this it's stacked messy. up against. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that also goes to the heart of just the 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 talk. You know, going back, Danielle, to what you're saying earlier about talk, and and maybe some of these shows should go to an informational category, and then others should go to another category. That is the other debate: is you know, is it fair to put John Oliver up against uh, Jimmy Kimmel or yeah. uh, James Corden when they're doing no, oh, such they do different very things. different things? And by the way, Variety Sketch Series had nine submissions. Nine. Single digits. One of them was Amber Ruffin, who does something similarly to how talk shows do. So that's where it's like, that's where the messiness is, because I feel like people, when they make these categories, they don't even know what the shows are. And so it's like, we're trying to catch as much as we can, but they're always going to be, especially now where people can be, thankfully, much more creative and innovative. They're not going to fit in the same way they used to. And so then what do you do with that? No, there's there's no easy answer. And then, you know, you add on Clayton, you mentioned like Don Lemon tonight. Well, that's, you know, that's 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 the purview of Natus. That's a whole different organization. So you it's like can you mix news with an, uh, information when there's the the news and documentary Emmys already, which is, you know, the the National Academy of TV Arts and Sciences. So then you're even getting into the sticky situation of different TV academies. So, how do you how do you resolve that? And I mean, but 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 the the theme. And no, you're absolutely right. But just like the the Oscars, that just it's all about film. This is all about TV. And maybe this whole se- like, and I'm all for separation. I think we should stay like genre separate. But we're not talking about genre separate anymore. I feel like we're getting into just format 
separation and there and everyone just wants their own lane that they can dominate and that's really kind of what this is boiled down to for some time as shown by Hamilton going against Bo Burnham inside because those are the same thing and you know what that's a really great point because there were so many stand-up submissions over the last two years that like maybe that's its own category yeah. You know, because that's a very singular, there are only so many ways that you're going to film a stand-up special. So what you're really rewarding is the writing and is the, you know, the stand-up comedian themselves. And maybe that's its own thing. Yeah. But then, but then is Bo Burnham inside a stand-up special? Ooh, it gets like even trickier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gets messy. Bo Burnham, cinematographer, editor, yeah. music supervisor, yeah. music director. That's true. Five, yeah. Five I mean, all those categories are still going to be tricky, but I yeah. meant the the show category. I don't. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't have I mean, any I mean, answers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, it just doesn't make sense that we you know we have Hamilton go against Bo Burnham that also went against the BET Awards that didn't get nominated. Right. So, well, like all, right. That's all of the awards. Right. Yes. Yeah, just those aren't the same things, and we need to find a distinction. Also, creative arts and not there, so we won't see Bo on stage. Uh, oh, but don't forget, I mean, Bo is up against uh, the, the Friends reunion, so, you know, he's he's standing in the way of Courtney Cox getting that Emmy. Getting that Emmy. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, I, I, want, I want it for her so bad. So bad I want it. I do, too. I, I mean, and the crazy thing is that, like, I don't know that she wants it as badly as we may want it for her yeah, it's, like, it's, know, not, it's not <laughs> a reward for her acting you know what yeah. I mean so like is this does this matter to her I yeah. don't know but yeah. I care and then you know what it's forward momentum next year for her new show Shining Veil which I'm very excited about but whatever yeah. Yeah. I haven't it, 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 seen it I'm just excited it, about it on principle <laughs> <laughs> they're still filming it they haven't shown us anything but like on principle on the premise and the cast list Pretty and gone. like the weird, the you know, tone. Man is Danielle. Yeah. And it's mixing I, I, I comedy and horror. And, like, my f- two favorite things from the 90s were Scream and Friends. So I'm just like, you know what? This uh, show yeah. maybe was made just for me. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, and and Var- Variety Special pre-recorded, by the way, is one of the most exciting categories this year. Well, and that's why they put it in the primetime ceremony. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought that the primetime Emmys would have Variety Special pre-recorded? Uh, but yeah, when you've got Bo Burnham, you got David Byrne, you got Dave Chappelle, you got the Friends cast, you got the Hamilton cast, you got the West Wing cast. I mean, that's stacked. But how many of them are going to be allowed to show up now that they've effectively revoked people's invites? Well, more than, <laughs> anything more than three, right? Is that the rule? I think it's full. So, but they they said the the email that I received, and I don't want to speak out of term. I don't know if the email I received was a public email or not, but it was very much like figure out amongst your teams who gets to go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And so it was like, <laughs> people who thought they were going and maybe was making travel plans because COVID and they didn't know if they had a quarantine from where they're coming from or whatever maybe can no longer go. I'm just a little, un- I'm a little unclear. I know the news just no, came true. down and maybe yeah. it will change again by the time this podcast even gets released. But I saw that email and just went, huh? Because I've been doing a lot of Emmy interviews, obviously for these issues that we keep publishing. And I, I've been asking everybody just as an aside, you know, how do you feel? What are your plans? And there have been a number of people that are like, yeah, we're going to travel in. We're going to figure it out. We're super excited to like see each other. We haven't seen each other for a year. And it's like, well, 
I don't know how you're going to figure out which of you get to stay and which of you get voted right. off the island. Okay, but so, so we should so have a variety rock paper rock paper scissors yeah. like Zoom session. Every nominee figures out like how to, who's going to the show. It'll be amazing. I love television. how Danielle deciphered that email because that is exactly what I was reading. It was, was so like, spot and on. And we mailed out the invites, but now you guys can figure out. And also, it's together. outside, so like outside feels to me safer. Like maybe you could invite more people. So yeah. I'm not. I think it's a smaller, sure. smaller space, maybe that. Right, uh, and that but deck. logically in my head, I was yeah. like, the first thing I saw was outside. Oh, cool. Maybe it will be a little bit more of a celebration. And then I kept reading and was like, oh, well, I'm not invited anyway, so yeah. it doesn't matter. So, 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 yeah, yeah so we don't get to go. We're so, virtual again, which I'm no, thrilled we'll, about. We'll be in pajamas. I, I'm, yeah, I'm fine I'm, with one more year in pajamas. Uh, so, somebody had mentioned to me. Uh, somebody had mentioned a lot of people were throwing out like, why don't they? Why 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 doesn't anyone do it at the Hollywood Bowl? Because it's outdoors. But a lot of people said uh, acoustics. Once you don't fill that place up, acoustics are a problem. Is that true? Am I making that up? Probably, but also yeah. I like we. I I would worry about. I, we talked about this a little bit in last week's podcast, like how they're putting you together. How are they clumping you together in terms of who are you sitting next to? Do you know if they're vaccinated? Did you do a rapid test? Like whatever. And I guess that's still a concern with wherever they're doing it outside downtown. But for whatever reason for me, I, the Hollywood bowl makes me nervous because a, again, you just, I always feel like everyone's sitting there eating and drinking like the golden globes. And like, I don't want to be eating and drinking around a million strangers. And I don't know that they do either, but also there's this weird, apocalyptic feeling to the Hollywood. I, I know I'm, I, I paused because I know people are going to come at me for this, but like, that's the place where I feel like if some crazy event happened, you would not be able to get out because yes, you were outside, but you're in this weird dome. You might be in the middle of it. It's like, you have to run to the edges and then where the hell is your car? I Danielle, Danielle is describing World War Z. She thinks Brad Pitt is going I've to never come crashing. seen World War Z. <laughs> There's um, a part in the movie where Brad Pitt crashes in a plane there you go. and survives. Uh, That's what no, you need to know. She is, she is right. Like that is yeah. catastrophe central. If like, yeah, like where can you run if there were an if there were an earthquake? Like you're just I don't, like, I don't even mean. I just mean like if you need to leave, it's it's like so hard for you to get out of that space. You'll be seen if you left. That's sneaking out. They would notice. I mean, you could do it at a small, like the Greek or the Ford Amphitheater. I mean, there are other outdoor venues that would be more reasonable. I, I do think in the case of the Emmys, it's just, it's it's right there at LA Live. They still have all the equipment. It's still, you know, it's still pu- plug and play. Um, you know, that's, that would have made more sense, I think, for the Oscars than, you know, what they did, you know, where they didn't really take advantage of Union Square, Union Station. But, um, but, but who knows, uh, you know. Going back to that four ticket thing, which is yeah, going to be a problem for some of these shows that have multiple producers and and how, you know who at Hamilton gets the four tickets. But then, which of these productions are going to be calling up Bo Burnham and do, being like, "Dude, what are you doing with the other three tickets?" Um, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's a Very really good true. point. And like, like does you that you know, is you that need okay? All four of those, right? Yeah. Bo, Bo Burnham is going to have a Ferrari by the end of the week. Like someone's going to be like, <laughs> "So I guess I'm going right." Like people are going to exploit this, they should. Um, but no, it, it, it's the the biggest, I guess, concern or worry is, and I would say a worry or concern. 
as we go into this next phase, <laughs> we're going to call this time in our lives, but as we go to this next chapter, um, and it seems like the Emmys are the ones that are really pulling, like, putting the brakes on of in-person elements, it seems to be kind of the only one that really is doing it, because as film festivals get ready, Telluride is going on in-person, full-capacity theaters, so, and that takes place two weeks before the Emmys. So, what, is this really out of abundance of, of caution? Or is it that we know there's going to be, like, 90-year-old people there because there's a lot more older people that go to the Emmys? Because I mean, I think that's television. definitely part of it. Yeah, no, yeah. I think that's definitely part of it. It's just the, they also know if they, they don't do that, if they're not cautious, they're limiting who will come, and they don't want to lose talent. Um, I will say that I am the cynic and the Debbie Downer of any group, and I don't know that I believe all of these film festivals will continue on as normal or as planned right now, let's say, because we, there's still so many unknowns. We keep seeing all of these things about, you know, the variant, but also kids being affected. And so many people who have kids are not going to want to travel places and potentially expose themselves when they may have a vaccine and they may be okay, but they can pass it on. So I, I don't, um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see obviously. And, and I hope that if they do continue to go on, they, they figure out a way to do it safely. But I do also feel like that's so much more contained in a film festival because your theater, if it's at capacity is nowhere near the size of the Microsoft theater, yeah. you know? So, and the other option is, well, if you wanted to do this in the Microsoft theater for Emmy nominees and you limit how many people you have in there, it just doesn't look right. And the yeah. production value on it, I feel, I think people are afraid of judgment on like, Oh, that theater is not full. You couldn't fill that theater. It's like, well, we could, we didn't want to for safety, but we, you know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I'm excited by the outside um, element of it, not just for the safety factor, but because that's just one more thing that will shake it up and that will say, maybe this will be interesting this year. Maybe there'll be a weird technical gaffe. I don't know. Maybe, or, or, <laughs> maybe, or maybe, or maybe, a, or maybe a whole Twitter <laughs> war, maybe a whole Twitter war will take place with the fab five. Cause they're all nominated for hosting and the shark tank crew. Because now only four of them can go. Because that is going to be amazing that, to you watch. You know what? Good yeah. point. Because yeah. that's a great example. Host of reality yeah. competition got so much more interesting now. Yeah. Yeah. By, by the way, have... if, I, if I were the producers, I would pay for a car chase to go right by <laughs> LA Live. Just like go speeding down the helicopters, the whole like, what's more LA than that? that how yeah. perfect would that be? Midway yeah. through, suddenly the Emmys turns into like a car chase. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Mike, you're giving them ideas and telling right, you. right, right. Jot that down. So, uh, variety is the hot races this year, man. I tell you, variety and reality are the ones that are just bringing joy. These are fun. <laughs> These are fun. All right. Well, uh, on that note, we will uh, say farewell till next week. Clayton, thanks for dropping by. We will talk to you again soon. I love seeing you guys. I hope to see you in 3D. One day. 2022, One day. Clayton. 2022. I, I've been to the office. I've walked by your desk, and I've said hello. Oh, and and Clayton, <laughs> you're you're a very bad pitch man because you, you give a shout out to your uh, your your television program, uh -huh. The Take with Wags. Playing Wags. So catch catch every Friday. Catch Clayton every Friday, give, giving his hot takes. Talk about all those things that people love talking about. 
I'm going to start a after show. I'm going to do the take after show where we, we sort of just dissect the take everything that you and, and Wags just said. Yes, we have got the take untucked. Please, no, we have, oh God, we're going to win Emmys next year. It's going to be brilliant, Mike. Come on. Like we, 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 this will be everything. Like oh, it's man. happening. We're, we're, we're fully ranked. We're taking over variety. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Daniela Jazz. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. All right, it's spoiler alert time. In case you haven't watched the series finale of FX's Pose, well, you're late, first of all, but the series does end with joy and sadness, grief and triumph, and MJ Rodriguez's character, Blanca, is in the middle of all that. She gets her bittersweet, happy ending, which comes as pray tell her confidant, played by Billy Porter, passes away. Y'all are probably wondering why y'all here. This was Bray's sanctuary. His home. We had some good times here. (laughs) And I couldn't think of a more fitting place to carry out his final wish. He actually wrote down a little something about all of you. I guess it was back when he was sure that he didn't have too long left. What did Grace say to you, Mom? Nothing. There was nothing ever left unsaid between us. Variety's Danielle Terciano recently spoke with MJ Rodriguez, and they discussed the early days of Pose, including how the show changed her life and the significance of being the first trans performer to receive a major acting nomination at the Emmys. Rodriguez discusses how pleased she was with the outcome of the show, the final scenes she shot, and her next gig opposite Maya Rudolph in the Apple TV series Loot. But first, Danielle began by noting how much people are still talking about Pose long after the series end. It's definitely been, I feel like it's been like a good time for me. I, I mean, I worked on it for, for about four years. So like, and then having the space in between to watch the show, the the, the seasons all together. I feel like um, it's been a while and I do miss, I do miss Pose. But the blessing, like you said, is that we get to have a twirling background. Um, (laughs) the blessing is that we get to have, um, the talks about it. We get to speak about, you know, the work that it's done and, you know, the message that it's sent. One of the things that's obviously kept the show going is all of this Emmy love, uh, for the show, for you. I mean, this is a historic nomination and, you know, you, you reacted to it on the morning of, obviously with talking about how it open so many possibilities. And you also talked with uh, Mark Malkin from Variety and on his podcast prior even to the Netme nomination about like what you hoped the legacy of Blanca would be, what you hoped the legacy of the show would be. And some of that also came up just opening the doors and, and this positive um, reaction. And I'm curious now that you've had some time where the audience has had the opportunity to see Blanca's story and how that legacy has come to life. Like, are you hearing things differently from the audience? hearing a lot of things that are different from the audience. I feel like I've heard so many uplifting and uprooting stories that just like, they changed my heart so much because I mean, I I know I sound like a a broken record, but you know, I feel like me and Blanca are so similar, but there's so many differences too, being that we're in two different like time periods. And, you know, she didn't have her mom and her dad 
Like I, I had my mom, my dad, I had my second dad, I have the LGBT community behind me. I had my colleagues who are artists and a part of the realm of the arts. Like I had that and Blanca didn't have those things. And, you know, still seeing her strive and, you know, do the things that, she, you know, a lot of trans women in that time, 1987, could not do for her to strive and do that. I think that's the legacy. It was her hard work and the fruits of her labor. And um, she's just a strong woman. Like I, 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 I'm inspired by her. Like I, when I was looking at her for all of my life, basically, but like when I actually got time to sit down and watch the, the seasons and watch the third season fully and break down and cry like a little baby. <laughs> Yeah, um, we all did. Yeah. Like it's you, you look at it when you take yourself away from the equation. Cause I used to just beat myself up, but I took myself away from the equation. I didn't see Michaela J there. I made sure I watched Blanca and her story. And I just was inspired by not only what she did, but a lot of the trans women on that show, mm-hmm. like the trans women on that show, the women of color on that show, you know, the Latina and black women of that show. They were so powerful in what they stood for individually. They were all multidimensional. They all had different mindsets. And, you know, the show itself expanded the minds of so many people out there who had these ideas of how women of the trans experience are supposed to move through the world. Like, no longer are we these stereotypical ideas in people, people's minds. We're actually human. And people are saying that we have minds, hearts. We have a pumping uh, uh, blood system and, you know, we have all of those things. We're not just these caricatures. We're more than just that. So I think that's the legacy all in one. It's the story. It's the information and the education and also the entertainment, girl. Yeah. Hopefully we can keep entertaining people. And that's that's so what's so great about the show, I think, too, is, you know, there a lot of the times outside of if we're hearing a seeing a caricature performance in a scripted show, on the news, we're seeing the traumatic stories. You know, we're seeing right. the murders and and the things that don't end well. So I want to talk right. a little bit about w- at what point you knew what Blanca's ending would be and how important it was for you that she survived, that she has a happy ending. And some of these other women on the show as well that you're talking about that, that were going out with this message of light and hope. And yes, there is tragedy because we lose Pray Tell, but there's a lot of beauty as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm going to try to remember, uh, <laughs> but I think it was, it was maybe two weeks and a half in when I found out. Um, but that was because into I the final really season, got, into the final season. Okay. Um, cause we were getting different episodes. They were coming, you know, one at a time. They weren't coming all at one, you know, some television shows, they'll give you the whole season and you get a chance right. to read it like a book. And then there's some television shows artistically people work different ways. So we got them, you know, every episode and it kept us on our toes too. And, um, I would say that the last episode, the two hour, um, two part episode, that's when I found out, I was, I found out while we were shooting episode six, I think, I think, <laughs> and, um, I just, I was so heartbroken that, um, pray tell and Blanca didn't get to live out their dream together. But I was also elated and and happy to see that there was a woman of the trans experience, trans experience. There was a woman of the trans experience who was of color, who had a strong black man who was gay behind her, pushing her forward and telling her that even if I'm gone, you have to keep going. You have to keep going. 
So um, it was heartbreaking to know that Pray Tell was going because, I mean, you know, I had an uncle that was like a Pray Tell to me. And to to just, I mean, granted, my uncle didn't pass away like how Pray Tell did. But um, when you see stuff like that through a character and the storylines through a character, you really appreciate it. And you're thankful that the story can end the way it needs to end, which is on a high note. And, you know, be happy with the outcome of a woman who the world would never expect to live on and carry on her dreams and still be able to go back and see her her children because so much of the murders and because of the ostrac- uh, being ostracized and, you know, because of all of that, you know, you get to actually watch a show to see that it can happen and it will happen and it won't stop. There's going to be a life um, to carry on and a legacy, like you said, to carry on. So, I mean, I, yeah. I have to say, like, seeing her come back and become a legend was so great. But hearing grandmother hit a little bit because I was like, that no one is old enough to be called grandma. Right. It's such an interesting dichotomy. Like, it's, it's said with love, obviously, but it's so interesting it is, to it see is. that embraced at all ages in the community. And, and it was just so interesting, mm-hmm. too, to see, you know, the, the passing of wisdom. Uh, it didn't, it, maybe it was because the show was only three seasons, but it didn't feel like it was that long ago, you know, that Blanco was getting some of this advice. So to see how far she had come, and especially because mm-hmm. there was that time jump, was so nice. Yeah. Um, tell I feel me like a little bit of, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I was going to say, I feel like she, like, in the ballroom scene, you have to grow up so quickly, especially when you're on the streets for a long time. Right. And within the ballroom scene, a lot of younger women of the trans experience and a lot of men of the trans experience and anybody in the LGBTQAI community who identify as a mother or a father, they're usually quite young. Yeah. You know, because a lot of them came into the scene very young. Um, But yeah, like, I, I, I saw that and I was like, I kind of I kind of love this because wisdom comes in all different shapes and sizes. It's not just specific to one age. And yeah, Blanca, she has children that have had children, you know, maybe not traditionally, but they're carrying on the legacy. Right. And those are her, you know, her her grandchildren, even though she young as all hell, child. <laughs> I know. Well, but that other thing too, I think, is because you know, there was that time jump. So there's so yeah. much that mm-hmm. we didn't get to see. What were the things mm-hmm. that you needed to know about her life in that missing period in order to play those end scenes? Were there questions that you asked Stephen or any of the other writers in terms of like, what did I miss here? No, there wasn't anything that I felt like I missed. And I, I didn't actually ask Stephen. We were a good team. We just really went off of what was written on the pages and just, you know, took how we felt the words, like how the words expressed and how we felt them, how they came off the pages, we just put it on the television screen. And Blanca's story in between, I mean, I feel like there was nothing really needed because her story was so multifaceted. It had a lot of information. And I just don't think that she was, there was anything that we missed. There was a a line that was between her and well, she was reading an obituary, the obituary, and she says, um, one of the characters asked her, what about you, Blanca? Did Pray Tell say anything about you? And she says, um, no, because nothing, 
between us was ever unsaid. Like that goes straight to the script as well. Nothing was ever unsaid. Nothing was ever unseen. Blanca's story, her arc had so many facets to it. People got to see so many things. They got to see the growth of her. They got to see her be this young girl in the um, house who is flying and flapping her wings to a woman who is able to succeed and and flourish. Um, And so the in-betweens, I think the audience just clocked onto it. And believe it or not, you know, I'll be on Twitter and I'll be on, you know, Instagram (laughs) and stuff, watching, you know. And, um, you know, the people, the, the, the people, the watchers, they see it. And, you know, I thought about that too. I was like, I wonder if they're going to actually wonder about the the missing links that they think should have probably been in there, but they, they just got it like that. And it was pretty amazing. So yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't think there were anything that we missed. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would call it a missing link, but it is definitely like, right, you, right, right. you want to spend more time with these people. And so we don't get yes. to, I always wonder how much you do, you know, outside of it. Um, and especially because this season, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, from everything, you know, I, I've talked to Steven about it, it certainly sounds like this season was shot very differently than previous seasons because of COVID. Because, right. you know, usually you maybe shot one episode at a time and here you had to do some block shooting and things like that. What yeah. did that do for you and your process in terms of, you know, finding these emotional places and go, how, I don't know. I mean, tell me how often I guess you had to go from a, a, a big exciting ball where the emotion is joyful to maybe something that's a lot heavier you know like like one of the um act up scenes was that did that come up a lot it happened a couple of times um when we were doing the protests we had to do some block shooting then um and also what you had mentioned before with um the act up Two different scenes we had to go from set, you know, to my apartment, Blanca's apartment, um, and then go straight to the protest. And just going in between, you know, emotions, sometimes that can be a bit taxing, you know. But for me, I, I always saw myself as a trooper and I was always just ready to go into work and just do what I love to do. Like I loved being a part of this show, but I love acting and I love bringing a character to life. So whatever it entails, whether it be going from one scene to the next and having to really channel emotions that sometimes can be very hard because you just went from this high and you have to go to this low. You, I, For me, I was just like, well, girl, this is what you live for and you could do it, so do it. And I was just like, okay, well, we're going to do it. It wasn't, you know, a question. I mean, yeah, emotionally it's hard. You know, it's taxing. And when you're done with the day, you have to really assess those emotions before you take them back to wherever you go. But um, in the space, I just saw the craft and I saw the work and how important it was. And I was just like, you just have to do it. You have to do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Do you remember what your final scene was? I do remember what my final scene was. My last two scenes, actually. Um, There was one scene that I had with... Sandra Bernhard and it was just so beautiful because you get to see Blanca at the peak of her life and her like her golden ages (laughs) and you get to see just like the window of babies and Mm. Rose in the hospital where she used to work 
and how now Judy is actually head of that, where it used to be a place where a lot of individuals died. There was a lot of death there. And just to see that and play that out and watch it in that scene, I became fully engulfed in that scene. Um, so that was one of, that was actually this last scene, the scene before last. My last scene was, I think I was walking in the hospital and I had to um, shoot a piece. It was a block shooting. Mm, yeah, <laughs> okay, shoot so it was like an earlier. Well, because yeah. the, the reason I was asking was, you know, I was curious how that, final moment kind of set the tone for your own goodbye to the show. But if your very final moment is actually an earlier moment, I'm not sure that maybe it relates as much as I was imagining. Well, I mean, I'll tell you one thing. After the last scene, we did have a great um, send-off for each and every one of the people that were there. And I mean, it just made the scene even more worth it because that scene with Blanca and even one of the nurses that were that she was fighting for, for pray tell to get the... Mm-hmm. Um, get the right dosage and the right medicine. I felt so uplifted even in that scene. And I, I'm glad it was actually one of my last scenes because honey, there's a fight up inside of me that I just, I can't, you know, sometimes I fight with myself, like, bro, you gotta calm down. And I'm like, no, you gotta fight. So yeah. um, doing a scene like that and ending it on that note, it was better because I wouldn't have been that much of a ball of tears when Stephen Canals and Janet Mock like had the conversation and like did the send off. So right. Yeah. Right. Um, And I do, you know, I do want to go back to something that Steven said to me because he was telling me a story about when he, I asked you when you knew, obviously Blanca's end, he told me he knew pretty much from the beginning of the show. Um, And so I'm curious, you know, he had said something to me about there's a moment, you know, this is her moment. Yep. But the whole finale, like that could be interpreted in so many ways because there are so many moments in that finale for you as an actor, for Blanca as a character. Which one did you feel like, this is my moment as a performer, as Michaela J. This is the thing I'm the most proud of. This is the thing that is going to land me my Emmy nomination. Um, whoa. <laughs> Maybe you don't think in those terms, but you know, just which is, which was the one that you felt like this is, this is really the moment I internalized as Blanca. The moment I like fully internalized Blanca and also saw Michaela J was the scene that Billy and I shared. It was the Diana Ross performance. And believe it or not, that is when Stephen Canals actually told me, this is your moment, take it. And I just, I was so happy I received that from him. Not only is he the writer, but he was directing. Right. And I'm, I, I love direction. I'm good with direction. But the, the very warm direction that he gave me was so uplifting. And it made me so comfortable with going full out for a performance like this. You know, I was always structured and had this mindset of like, Blanca is this woman who is, you know, upheld and she's upkept and, you know, she's older now. So she's not and thinking in my head, she was a young freaking woman who had to go into the depths of, you know, maturity to make sure that the children she was raising were able to live. But this was her moment. This was her moment. You know, they were acknowledging her and Pretel, you know, and 
I just lived. I remember dancing my life away and scared as all hell that I could have fallen and bust my butt in that water. But it didn't matter to me because when people were going to watch it, when it was done, they were going to see Blanca living her life and showing that aside from raising children and having a moment in the hospital where you see her running down the hallway and having a real moment knowing that her friend dies, one of her closest friends die, dying, to having a scene before that and full liberation and full happiness and full knowing that, you know, she's having her moment and she's doing it with somebody who she's safest with. The dichotomy even between that is, is crazy. But that was one of my favorite moments because I just got to be happy and live and also see myself as Michaela J and grow and see how much I've grown. It was just, it was amazing. And I'm so glad Stephen said that to me because if he wouldn't have said that to me, if he wouldn't given me, wouldn't have given me that direction, it probably wouldn't have been the same. Yeah. So not to completely put you on the spot here, but you mm-hmm. are working yeah. on other projects already. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you carry Pose? Do you feel like you carry Blanca through to these other projects? Or do you feel like you have to separate, you have to compartmentalize because each character is so unique? Yeah, for me, as like, an, am I, you know, <laughs> for me, it is very important for me to separate the two just so I can show versatility Mm. and just so that people can see a different character, you know, so that they get to see Blanca, they'll get to see Sophia and this new show that I'm doing with Maya Rudolph called Loot, but they'll also be able to separate those two and get, get to actually see me, Michaela. Right. You know, um, and actually see Michaela J as an artist, not just as someone who's, in a place or as a placeholder, you know, and sometimes that can be the case with trans women. Um, now that's not the case. And I want to constantly break that mold. I want to constantly show people that we as people of the LGBTQI community, especially the trans community, because we're really on a, a, a great trajectory, trajectory right now. It's important to know that we're multifaceted, even in our crafts, too. Right. And um, that we can separate between the two and that we can do the work. So that was very important for me to separate myself between Blanca and Sophia and also the real person we know as right. Michaela J. And I was going to say your music too, I imagine, because maybe something can be inspired yeah. by the show, but the voice you're using is yours. Right. Exactly. 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 Well, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations again on the nom. Thank you. You know, can I just say this? I'm of sorry. Course, like, no. I'm a talker, as you can see. But that nomination, that really surprised me. I had a feeling in my spirit, like there's a strong feeling that this could possibly happen. Mm. And I stayed up at like till 10 o'clock in the morning in the South of France, girl. Why? Child, no sleep. <laughs> Didn't get no sleep. <laughs> but I woke up that morning and I was just like, what? Like when it happened initially mm-hmm. happened because of time, a lot of time in between. Um, but I just was, I was in awe. I always tell myself I'm proven wrong, you know? And I kind of love saying that I've been positively proven wrong by the people I thought who didn't see me. They actually do see me. Mm-hmm. And um, now it's time to 
see me a little bit more. Yeah. And I'm glad that they opened that door a little bit for us to just, you know, do our thing. I just was so surprised. And I'm still, I can't, it's still surreal to me. I mean, it might also, it might also feel a little bit that way because we're still kind of in this weird, not seeing each Maybe other, so. celebrating together the way that we would have been, you know, most of the time, yeah. like, I mean, on morning, like there, people are there, there's a place to go in person, not everybody, but it's a little right, bit different. Right, right. And so, I mean, fingers crossed that things are on track for September and like people can celebrate together in September. Right. I mean, I think it's going to be everything. I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I had this feeling for a long time. Oh, we're having a whole conversation. <laughs> so I've had this I've had this feeling for a long time where, you know, I'm saying it now. So people are going to be like, she's not a psychic, but I think I got a little something in me. But there was this feeling in me for uh, about a year with COVID-19 and how things were going to possibly roll over. I knew that she was going to be here. I call her she because she's oh, my yeah. um, Rona. Yeah. I knew that she was going to be here, but I also knew that there was going to be change within 2021 I knew that we would get to a point where we were going to be in person like I just felt it I told my mom too I told everyone I was like I'm gonna tell the people that you know who I feel comfortable with so right they can be like, right well how do you feel this and I'm like I just feel it and it's happening it happened so I'm just like it's gonna be great this the year that's coming in for 2022 is gonna be even better Rona hashtag the chance Rona it's gonna always be here um, but we just have to ignore her and, you know, do the right things when she's around because she does get around. But yeah, that's how I've been feeling. That's good. I mean, listen, 2022 has to be better. You're having a great year. But I mean, other, like, other yes. than that, 2022 has to be better. And so and hopefully it'll no, be it better for you. You know, next role, even bigger accolades. We'll stay tuned. Okay. Yes, I, I pray for that. I pray for it. I think it's going to happen. And yeah. That's MJ Rodriguez, star of FX's Pose. After the break, the executive producers of Netflix's Cobra Kai. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Cobra Kai executive producers and creators Josh Heald, John Hurwitz, and Hayden Schlossberg love The Karate Kid. They love it. In a land of reboots, their take on the franchise stands out for adding quite a bit of depth, intrigue, comedy, and story to what we thought we knew about Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Lawrence. Now the two, played once again by Ralph Macchio and William Zabka, are all grown up and their rivalry was reignited when Cobra Kai debuted on YouTube back in 2018. Critics embraced the show and its smart take on what happened to Daniel and Johnny, as did fans of the original 1980s franchise. 
Cobra Kai became the most watched series on YouTube's subscription service, and a second season followed in 2019. But then YouTube got out of the scripted business, and producer Sony Pictures TV, which has a lengthy track record of keeping shows alive by moving them to other platforms, saw a big opportunity in Netflix. The first two seasons of Cobra Kai moved to Netflix last year, followed by a third season that debuted on New Year's Day 2021. After that, Cobra Kai swept the leg. That has led to the show's Emmy nomination in the comedy series category. I talked to the three producers about this latest win for the show and what to expect in season four. But first, I began by asking them how they reacted to news of the nomination. The three of us were together. We, it was a work day, and we all got together for coffee beforehand. And we were discussing, hey, should we be get head over to the office beforehand and just like you know watch the nominations? Because to be honest, we didn't have confidence that we were going to get nominated. You know, we we felt pretty good about the work that uh, you know our team has done on the show for you know a number of years now. But you know, uh, obviously, we had to switch in platforms over to Netflix. But we had no idea what what if it would you know, uh, lead to the nomination, we didn't want to get our hopes up too high. Uh, but we left coffee early, went to the office, all gathered around the screen together. And uh, it was a, a, a flood of emotion immediately. We jumped up, high-fived, uh, you know, yelled and screamed excitedly because it was something that you know, we, we hoped could happen. And we were, uh, we were you know, I think surprised that it did. And, uh, you know, our colleague, Dina, who works with us, she was less surprised. She had already come come to the office with bottles of champagne for us to celebrate. Uh, and uh, we uh, had a little bit of a nice boozy morning followed by interviews and texts all day, uh, more inebriated than we typically are. <laughs> <laughs> you guys crank up the soundtrack, uh, you know, get, get a little uh, Cobra Kai soundtrack going too. Uh, it was a full, full on, full on dance party over here. <laughs> I bet, I bet. Um, well, you you mentioned the, the platform shift. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I think we've we've all written about kind of that Netflix effect, and I mean, this is a good example of it, it really working. I mean, the the you know the the folks who caught up on the the first two seasons and then joined in on the third season. I'm sure you really noticed a difference in, in the chatter and just the reactions. What was that like when, when you started to notice, you know, people binging who, who missed it on YouTube and, and who were catching up on it for the first time? It was instantaneous. It was uh, it was like overnight. Everybody in the world knew about Cobra Kai. You know, for for a couple of years, there was a big cult audience who watched it on YouTube Premium. But if you would mention, you know, what you were working on out in the world, you know, to, to any given person, there was usually, it was usually followed by an explanation of, you know, it, oh yeah, it's the Karate Kid in 1984. It's, it's those same actors. Oh, that sounds good. Maybe I'll check it out. Whereas in a moment, everybody knew what it was. Everybody had seemingly watched it, you know, that the first week it was, uh, it was live. And it just became part of the pop culture um, where everyone knew the references, everyone knew the dojos, everyone knew what, what was going on with Johnny Lawrence and Daniel LaRusso. And it was, it, was a, it was a bigger, more instantaneous moment for the show than, than, every, than the ramp up you know, over those two years. There was a steady drumbeat of the show caught fire. You know, it remained popular when a new season dropped it. You know, it went toe to toe with the big boys, and um, and you know we were getting data 
you know, along with YouTube that, you know, oh, wow, it's, you know, relative to this show on Netflix or this show on Hulu, it's, it's doing really well. Um, but we always suspected um, and always kind of knew in our hearts that this was a show that we were writing and we were making for a huge four quadrant audience. And where is that audience? They, they're all hitting that Netflix button on their remotes. So when it went over there, it did exactly what we had expected and hoped. And uh, it was it was just vindicating and thrilling to, to see it happen in real time. Yeah. And, and Hayden, I bet you're, you're sort of happy you don't have to explain anymore what it is you're doing. Uh, that you know, The whole like you're doing what? You're, you're remaking what? It's amazing to have a show on a, a platform that people go to watch shows. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a very difficult thing. You know, YouTube is known for one, you know, one type of entertainment that and, and it wasn't, you know, premium content. So I always joked about it being like, you know, I, I hear all the time at Costco, like they sell these hot dogs there and they're the best hot dogs of all time. <laughs> but I'm I'm really only going to go to Costco if I'm going for Costco. And and th- there were there, you know, for two years, I think people that kind of, you know, it was a hardcore fan base at YouTube. Um, but, you know, people just I think there was just a too big a barrier of entry to like give a credit card for something that you're used to watching for free. And I think YouTube realized that they switched to ad, you know, an ad based approach. And, you know, for Netflix, this is just always the natural place for Cobra Kai. And it's, it's great to not even have to explain anything and just get the incoming phone call of, I saw your show. Yeah. Yeah. Are you getting the same kind of data that, that uh, YouTube was sharing? Uh, do, you, do you get to see any of that uh, Netflix data or are they, they kind of stingy in, in telling you exactly? Who's watching? They, How many people? Uh, you know, we do get the data. You know, I, I'm sure we don't get all the data, but we've gotten enough data to to feel really uh, amazing about uh, just the overall audience. Uh, you know, not only that, you know, have we seen the numbers that have been out in the world. Uh, you know, they've released some data in terms of you know households watching it, but you know, just learning that you know families are watching it together, that couples are watching it together. That it's not, you know, one person per account watching the show, and also just the the completion of of the completion rate, which is a big thing that all these streamers talk about. Is it, people who start watching Cobra Kai watch it all typically. Um, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but the numbers are extremely, extremely high in terms of if you're watching the show, uh, you're watching all of it and enjoying all of it and keeping along, and it continues to gr- it continued to grow. Uh, season three grew beyond seasons one and two. And, um, you know, and then again, the, the, the final thing that we're excited about is it doesn't matter if you're male or female or you're 70 or seven, you know, uh, or, you know, where you're from in if you're from the United States or any part of the, this country or all over the world. The numbers are fairly consistent in terms of people enjoying the show. Uh, so it's it's really um, all of those things are sort of make us feel good for, for what our intent was. We were trying to make a show that was not just for Karate Kid fans and not just for people like in our, you know, like the three of us were three guys from New Jersey who moved to Los Angeles. We had our own Daniel LaRusso uh, journeys in life. Uh, mm-hmm. We wanted a show for the three of us and, and people who've got, had our life experience to enjoy, but something that everyone can enjoy. And the data has been backing up um, just uh, how far and wide, uh, the reach has been for the show and it's backed up by the anecdotal experiences that we've had in our everyday lives. 
Yeah, it must. I, I imagine there's a good percentage of people, especially younger viewers, who didn't watch the originals. They definitely didn't see the sequels, but maybe didn't even watch the, the first one. And, and so that's got to be interesting, too, for, for folks who sort of just are, are into the show, maybe don't get some of the, the references to, to the 80s films, but that's okay. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, a wink and a nod for the super fans. And then for everyone else, there's still just a great story attached to it. Have, have you found that a, a lot of folks are like, I didn't even watch, definitely didn't see Karate Kid 3. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people tell you that. Uh, <laughs> maybe some people saw two, but forgot about it. Um, and, and you found a way to do these homages, but not leave behind the people who maybe didn't see some of the movies. Yeah, I mean, there, there's there's multiple things happening where we, we found with our younger audience that they are experiencing the show and these characters, you know, sometimes for the first time, which is, you know, it carries a lot of weight, you know, because we are introducing them to, you know, these iconic, you know, classic characters from, from the film. Um, and then they get to go look at the Karate Kid film franchise as the prequels to, to what's happened here. Uh, the other thing that's happening is... Um, we we have this amazing power uh, in reaching back to that franchise and all the dailies um, that John Avildsen filmed uh, for all three movies. We we can reach into the salt mine and grab you know an alternate take or a different camera angle um, to reposition a memory from you know Daniel or Johnny or, or somebody else's life um, and introduce it to an audience as look what happened when they were younger. Look at this moment. And oftentimes we're using something obscure from, you know, the second movie or the third movie that unless you're, you know, like us or the top, you know, 5% of people who watch these movies over and over again, you're not, you don't have that scene on the tip of your tongue or on the tip of your brain. So it really does feel like, oh my goodness, like there's not only are we telling you this is happening or this has happened in the past, but we're showing you a legit flashback with the same actors going through that moment. And sometimes we're able to use, you know, a piece of a scene that we've, you know, never seen before or um, an angle, like right from the get-go in the series, in the in the first scene of the first episode of the series, we used an angle of Johnny um, getting kicked by Daniel that John Avildsen did not use in the movie. It was a, it was a super close-up shot in slow motion uh, with sweat flying off his face that really dramatizes, you know, Johnny as a victim in that moment. And we realized this was just a, a great weapon in our arsenal to, to continue to reach into the, the past and position these key moments of the movies as the kind of life-changing moments in the, the lineage of these characters. Yeah, and, and the, the, the odd thing is Ralph Macchio hasn't aged a day in, in 30 years, and, and that still just boggles my mind. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hayden, you were going to say something? Uh, well, it, it's it's one of the coolest things about the show is that we have these flashbacks to younger versions of themselves. I've never seen that before. You know, we we because we treat these earlier movies like canon and we take this universe so seriously, it really is like the first time that, you know, a kid who's watching the show and we see it all the time. There's a lot of, you know, YouTube fans that are, you know, under you know, 20 that are like, have their own channels and they, they um, analyze the earlier movies and they go back to them. And you never really had that before in a franchise because usually, you know, when you talk about a 20 or 30 year gap, if there is a, you know, 
a brand. It's like, it's so different. It's like the Superman of the 1950s and the Superman of, you know, Richard Donner and what we have today is all disconnected, but to have something that is connected with the same actors, like, it's it's the closest thing is like when comic book fans can go back 20 years ago and, and look at comics that, you know, are are part of the universe. And so it really is. I mean, I guess like Star Wars is is another example that, you know, is doing that. But um, it, it really creates this universe that kids can get into. And, and it, it fits within the times of like what Marvel's doing in Star Wars. And it wasn't like completely our intention to do that we you know but it, it's become that and it's really cool yeah and that's something that's really satisfying about when you know ali shows up again and and, and you know that history uh you know between uh johnny and, and daniel and and uh you know you you sort of it, it adds this extra layer uh to just the storytelling and and the relationships and and that's been so fun for for the fans and, and for everyone to kind of just dissect and and I know these fans these fans they're they're intense Hayden the last time we spoke on another panel we were talking about how they just dissect every little thing including music cues including everything that everyone puts on on the internet uh, they are watching they are they are watching you guys as well what's what is that like that that i i, I don't want to say pressure but when you're sitting there when you guys are planning out a season when you're figuring out just where things are going uh, how much of that is in the back of your heads like the fans are going to flip when they see what what's to come john i, I was going to i was going to say it's exciting for us you know i mean it's one of those things that you know when 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 we created the show in the first place, this was sort of the dream reaction to it, that people would be as invested as they are. And, you know, since season one, you know, or since season two, I should say, when we when there already were fans, when you're in the writer's room, there's there are those moments where you just look at each other and you're like, people are going to go nuts for this. Or I can't wait. Like we, we're working on post-production on season four right now. So we've seen all of the fourth season that no, that nobody else has seen. And there are times where we finish watching an episode and we look to each other. We're like, I just can't wait for them to experience all this. And, you know, in terms of like, you know, the eyes on us, it, it is, it is something that's interesting. You know, we're all on, on social media and we, we realize now, like you say one little thing and the next thing you know, they're going to be, you know, reaction and analysis videos on that thing. Uh, you know, Hayden, Hayden joked around, you know, there's, a reference to Honeycrisp season on our show in season four. I'm not going to tell you the context or anything like that, but Hayden just sort of mentioned it in passing because we were joking around about it earlier in the day. And suddenly there was all this speculation. Oh, is the season is wait, okay. So Honeycrisp season, we did some research and it turns out that that's like September ish. So does that mean that, okay, season four now coming out in September is, or is the trailer coming out in September or like, Hayden right. was just making a, an offhanded reference to to like a, a, a very minor like moment that is in season four, uh, and suddenly it just set the, the fan base uh, you know on fire with everyone speculating because of that one little thing. So you know, I think that, that there are the moments. He's like a kid who plays with fireworks. He, you know, <laughs> he just kind of you know wanders around and throws them around. <laughs> but I think all of us, I think, know that know right now that like you know, if you're saying something out there even the smallest thing, uh, you know, uh, that 
you know, there, there may be repercussions in terms of uh, within the fan base and there's something, you know, super fun about it. We love engaging with the fans. We always have, and we, we continue to as much as we can because it is, it's, it's, uh, uh, we're, we're constantly impressed by, uh, the, the passion, the talents, the fan art, the fan fiction, the, you know, the music, everything that they do. And we all feel like we're part of this one community and we just happen to be the guys who make Cobra Kai. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is it's not, um, you know, there, there's a lot of themes in Cobra Kai, but you know, one of the, one of the things on the show is uh, it's really about our love of the, this franchise. And that's why the show has gone on for three or four years. It's because we believe in it. We, we want this world to be real. We want these characters to be real. And so we're coming at it from a fan perspective. So you know, it, it is that, uh, you know, it, it feels like we're a part of the that whole community, you know, but we are all obviously also like, you know, the storytellers and they're the audience. But at times it's just like, oh, we're all on the same side. Yeah. no, And, and you know, you get really worried for these characters. There was a period of time where I was really worried about the Russo Motors, that maybe, you know, business was, you know, falling and, and you know, the t- times were tough. So I'm, I'm glad that worked out. But uh Talk a little bit about sort of um, creating some of these backstories, retconning some of that, especially with Crease in, in sort of, you know, this past season really giving us sort of, you know, the, the Vietnam story and, and giving us a lot more of, of Crease and who he was and, and some of the things that you've been doing with some of these characters and, in, in, you know, filling out what happened to some of these characters like Ali and, and the folks in Okinawa and and sort of having a chance to sit down and, and sort of figure out okay what what is the timeline what what is the focus of of where these characters have gone and where they've been and where they're going. I mean, a, re- a really powerful tool we have in our arsenal is the ability to shift perspective. You know, when you watch the the movie franchise, it's really it's Daniel's story. You know, it's his continuing you know evolution into this young man with this mentor. Um, overcoming these various obstacles, both in and out of the valley. The moment it became a, you know, a 10 episode series where we have this, you know, at times seemingly unlimited runway to tell these stories, right off the bat, it was, you know, shifting perspective just gives you empathy and uh, investment where it didn't used to be. You know, the first uh, episode of the season of the of the series was designed specifically to build sympathy, build connection with Johnny Lawrence. Let's start looking at him as something other than a, a tool wielded by Crease to terrorize this kid. Um, then shift perspective back to Daniel and, you know, show you that, you know, wait a minute, we don't not like Daniel. We like Daniel. He, you know, he's good. He has a family. He's successful. We're, we're now, we're, we're kind of on the ride with both of them. So that, that was something that we really played with the balance season one with, you know, Miguel and Robbie. Um, we, we start first meet Robbie and we're not sure we like him. He's a little bit of a a hoodlum and he's, you know, stealing things and, you know, he's, you know, running with the wrong crowd. And by the end of that season, and these two guys are fighting, we're not exactly sure whose corner we're in. We're kind of rooting for everybody. And that's a great place to be. So when it comes to characters like Crease or characters, you know, like chosen, um, or characters like Ali, even we, we challenge ourselves and our writers to always be thinking about 
who were they when we met them in the movie? What was the story that we weren't seeing? You know, if we were telling the story of our series, but we were telling it back then, what might we have known if we wanted to understand what happened at home? Um, and with with Crease, you know, that was that was the first kind of experiment into how can we, you know, fill out and shape that story to get to a place where somebody would look you know, teenagers in the eyes and say, life is black and white. And you either, you know, have no mercy or you're a loser. Um, and being a loser is not acceptable. Um, and it became, you know, this, this Vietnam story. We knew that Chris was a Vietnam veteran, but it was never really dealt with um, in, in depth in the series. Um, and we chose to kind of lean into that as this formative time in his life that shaped his character, that uh, turned him a little bit away from who he you know, was maybe growing into in this small town and turned him into this this person who goes through uh, tragedy and regret and, um, and and finds strength in a dark place. And, you know, you, you realize that you, you know, you look back on the movie then and you try to make sure that you're not overwriting anything that, you know, Robert Mark Kamen and John Appleton did. And you, you hope that you're supporting it and you're buttressing it and you're giving um, added weight to a storyline that's already there, as opposed to saying that didn't happen, this happened, and and that's always our approach with it. Um, and it's it's continued to do what that season one did, which is to all of a sudden find yourself, you know, kind of accidentally at times rooting for characters that you might not choose to uh, because you have a greater understanding of of what drives them. Yeah, and now that you guys have been on for quite a few seasons, to to see those characters, your your, your loyalties constantly sort of flip. You mentioned Miguel and Robbie. There was that period of time where you know, Robbie was the good kid, and Miguel sort of you know went down that that dark path, and now suddenly it's flipped again. And and now you've now that you've had the time to really sort of play with these characters and make them even more complicated, living, breathing characters. That that, that must be sort of fascinating to play with, and and. Curious to, you know, sort of what the grand plan was in the beginning and how that's evolved and maybe changed as you've gotten to know these characters more. Uh, you've sort of seen this this sort of story almost live on its own. I, I, I sense that Crease became a much bigger part of the show than maybe he was going to be initially. But I'm, I'm kind of curious where things like sort of uh, evolve versus what the original grand plan was. Uh, you know, it, it, it ends up being like a bonsai tree. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of see what, you know, you have a game plan going in. And then as the show unfolds, you you become invested in different things and you see like, OK, well, this season ended this way. And I feel this way about this character. How, you know, maybe it's it would be fun to kind of shift that and, and go off into a different direction and so, there, you know, there's definitely, you know, changes that we make along the way. But I think it all starts from that place that Josh said of, you know, the theme being about shifting perspective, um, that everybody has their story, you know, and you could be rooting for them in, if, if you were, if, if the spotlight is on them long enough. And the, and, and the other thing is, you know, it's a show about, you know, memory and and how your childhood like you know can wreak havoc on your life and so we always have these themes you know themes of bullying mentors and students and so you know every season we approach you know the show with that fan uh attitude of like i want to bring back those karate kid feels um 
And so there's there's like a kind of different but same element to every season where we, we want to tap into those vibes while doing something totally different that we haven't seen before. And, you know, sometimes that's taking a character in a completely different place than you might think. But I would say for the most part, you know, our characters, where they are right now in the franchise are where we planned it at the original, you know, fr from the beginning. You know, you never know how long things are going to last. You know, you can't plan it to a T. But, you know, wh where things ended in season three with, you know, Johnny and Daniel, you know, kind of coming together um, and setting up this tournament was something that, you know, we, we had been talking about for a while. And so there is a, there is a grand plan, but you also have to let the tree grow and, and kind of see where the story takes you at times. And we try to find that balance. Yeah. And, and obviously I'm very excited to see this, this, uh, sort of uneasy alliance between Johnny and, and Daniel, uh, which, you know, that that's, that's enough fodder for an entire season. I'm right. sure. Um, and, 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 you know, part of the fun of the show, too, is just seeing sort of um, the, the reactions in the community, the ineptness of this school administration. I mean, there's so many different elements that, uh, you know, like this this crazy like uh, uh, dojo rivalry going on just in the middle of the valley. And, and you know, the, 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 the authorities like really have no idea what's going on. It's there's just these like sort of real fun, amusing, almost satirical elements that you get to play with as well with this show. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. We're all fans of, of you know, shows like The Simpsons, you know, that have this like expansive world of tons and tons of characters that, you know, can show it, show up in and out of, of uh, the series. And I think that, you know, one of the things that is anyone who's watched Cobra Kai knows that we have a lot of characters that, we have a way more series regulars than a typical half hour show. And we have way more characters that might as that are in as many episodes as series regulars. We're always constantly uh, building that world and love uh, uh, finding uh, characters that, that make, make the universe feel full and are almost Easter eggs within the series. But, you know, from a, from a, you know, uh, the satirical element of it is, at the, at the end of the day, this is a show about two grown men who had a karate rivalry in their teenage years, and it's continued all these years later and has bled down uh, amongst these generations. It's a, it's a, a, a the concept alone makes us the comedy that we are as much as we take the story seriously. The fact that we're taking the story seriously is the is the is almost the comedy of the show. Uh, and we're, you know, viewing these characters um, uh, in a light that uh, allows us to sort of look at ourselves and look at society in a in in unique ways, whether it's the generational perspectives or the, you know, uh, the, the different, um, uh, you know, uh, be belief systems of each dojo. Uh, you know, we're able to kind of view the valley as a microcosm of the world in its own weird, unique way. I, I also think that there's an element of truth in that, you know, there are times when adults end up like reducing to the teenagers that they were in high school. And, you know, it's, you know, so so there is, you know, we, we 
we use that and the facts that like, you know, hey, let's let's believe that in in the Karate Kid and at least the Karate Kids version of the Valley, karate was this big deal like football in Texas. If you if you accept that conceit and the and the sense and also the um, the reality that, you know, adults can sometimes act like kids you can actually believe this world. Cause like, you know, the, the, it's a delicate balance between being too satirical because the movie wasn't satirical. So if the show's too meta and too satirical, suddenly it's, uh, you lose that magic of the karate kid and, and we wouldn't have the fan base we have, but because they are adults, it allows us every now and then to kind of step outside and be like, what the hell is this all about? <laughs> like there's a karate war going on. And, and, you know, you have these like really kind of fun moments and we pick and choose those, those moments very carefully to capture the comedy, but also the, you know, keep the drama, keep the karate kid feels going. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes it's Daniel's wife, Amanda, who's like, Oh, we're, we're doing this right now. This, this, this <laughs> stupid, this silly teenage thing we were doing right now. Um, those uh, so, so so the the fights and and we we've uh, Hayden last time uh, we talked uh, we talked about sort of how you have to in, in some ways kind of outdo yourself every year uh, in 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 you know in sort of staging these dramatic moments uh, you know I didn't know how you would ever top the, that school fight but you know to do something fun in the Larusso home was a way to do something a little different. Uh, when you guys are sort of sitting there in the, the writer's room, how do you sort of figure out, okay, how do we top ourselves? How do we do something epic that's just going to look, you know, uh, in, in Johnny's words, kick ass? We, we end up starting the season, you know, kind of scratching our heads to a degree of, you know, the, the, the fight to come, you know, and there usually is one, you know, toward the end of a season um, is a little bit blurry and a little bit of a challenge of, you know, how are we going to go bigger and more impactful? Because we're still coming off the, the high of having pulled off the previous one. Um, and with every successive season, it's really taken shape pretty organically. Um, like as we build closer to it, our ideas and our designs for what that fight might be they change sometimes dramatically, you know, sometimes the location changes, you know, due to what we've written before then, or just the the concerns of, you know, what part of the year it is. And if we're inside, outside, um, or just the, the storylines that we find ourselves most invested in, um, there, there usually is some sort of a episode eight, nine, you know, 10 adjustment that happens, um, once we get into production based on um, where we now know we're going versus where we thought we were driving. Um, and when it does come together, it's thrilling. Um, you know, for, for season three, it was, it was having this fight that was in three different um, locations and two different timelines. You know, you, you have this, this moment of, you know, these kids trying to organize the detente and there's an ambush. It's a little bit of a red wedding moment of, you know, oh no, we're trapped. Um, originally we thought we were going to stage that actually in the Miyagi-Do backyard. Um, but the, the weather turned on us so awfully and it was freezing cold and raining and ultimately not safe um, to, to do it out there. Um, and there was a rewrite where we, we looked at, you know, what was in front of us and, and who the characters were. And there was something more heightened about it being in the LaRusso house while also 
you know, potentially more concerning to us from a story aspect because the Cobra Kai's are, are taking this fight to a private residence. Um, but once we kind of got over our hesitation to it, it really started to present itself as like, what a beautiful 360 environment to, to see everything take shape. Um, and to see Sam really kind of like, uh, own up to her, uh, her fears and, uh, and, and discover her confidence in that dojo that Daniel, uh, built. And then you get out of that and you're exhausted and, you know, your, your, your blood is going and, oh yeah, there's this giant Vietnam, you know, fight happening. And, oh yeah, there's this giant confrontation that's about to happen in, in the dojo and, the intercutting between those two fights was something that we loved, you know, writing in the, uh, with our writers and we loved constructing, you know, with, uh, the stunt team and, you know, love directing and, and, and deciding, okay, it's going to be a, you know, a right cross in the past that is mirrored with a, you know, a left, you know, hook in, in the present, um, and finding those match cuts and finding, uh, those angles to, 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 to present and to begin to build the, you know, as the crease backstory is coming to fruition, you're still telling story through that fight. You're seeing this guy in a moment of peril, discover that he needs no mercy, that, you know, no mercy is the only thing that's going to help him survive. It's the, it's the answer. It's the key to everything. But in that success for that young character, we're seeing that that could be Johnny's peril. Like, Oh no, does that mean he's going to kill Johnny? Um, and that's the best part of, of writing these fights for us is really not to present karate monotony, but to still be building story and to be hitting those climactic, you know, character moments through the punches, through the kicks, through the plate glass windows. Um, those, those are the moments that, that really get us on our edge of our seat that like, okay, we are actually, you know, not just sitting back and watching people slug it out, but we are really up there with them and seeing this fight as a reflection of who they are and needing this fight to get to where we're going next. Yeah. So um, it, it, it's a challenge, but it's but it's one that it's our favorite part of putting together a season. I also just love like in that fight, you're rooting for young Crease to to win against you know his captain in the past. And you're rooting against old Crease, you know, so you're you're and yet when young Crease wins, that's how he becomes old Crease. So like yeah. the whole thing is 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 playing with like rooting interests and and yeah, and that like we come at it from that character, you know, arc place, and then oh yeah, it's over a pit of snakes and it's the it explains the origin of Cobra Kai and all of that stuff. So yeah, so. yeah. Well, what I, I also I mean, this has been great training for your your young actors as well so so i just saw the news that uh, the, the young actor who plays miguel has been cast as the, the blue beetle uh in in dc so you're you're training superheroes you're uh you know this is cobra kai is is leading to some big things for uh so some of your uh supporting actors as well uh, we we are blown away every day by our young cast um they have a lot more on their plates than a, a typical you know teenager or young adult actor has when preparing for a show yeah you, you know there's plenty to do from a dramatic standpoint or a comedic standpoint but the physical training that these kids go through every season uh you know these were not karate masters we didn't hire a bunch of kids who already knew karate we had hired a bunch of actors who learned karate along the way and the fights that you see on the show are mostly them. They do have stunt doubles, but more often than not, what you're seeing on screen is these young performers 
you know, doing the the, the kicks and and the punches and the 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 acrobatic moves. Those are them, and uh, it's impressive to have such well-rounded performers. And we think all of them have very bright futures. It was uh, no surprise to us that uh, Sholo uh, was uh, going to you know find his way into the DC universe. I know that this has been a little a little time coming, and and he's definitely well trained for that. And you know, uh, would not be surprised if over the years, you know, all of our young performers find find their place in uh, in those types of films. And uh, you know, we're fans of those kinds of movies, and we may make those kinds of movies down the road ourselves. Uh, so uh, we think that uh, are uh, in, in our mind, they're they're already superheroes in the universe that we've that we've uh, um, you know created uh, with them, and uh, look forward to seeing them take on these kinds of roles going forward. All right, so let's talk real quick. We kind of uh, we hinted at season four. We obviously know there is this uh, you know Daniel Johnny collaboration, but uh, is there anything? And and you know the smallest thing you can say might set off the internet. So so give me something that uh, causes the fans to to go nuts to you know get out the whiteboard and try to dissect what your meaning is. <laughs> <laughs> give, give, us, give us something uh, to, to sort of chew on as we wait for season four. Hayden, you're the king of uh, throwing out something there that's uh, ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, all, you know, I just, all, I, I don't want to give anything away. If you want the fans to enjoy it, I, I could just say that, like, you know, the the whole Johnny Daniel team up, you know, is uh, we when we watch, you know, where that goes we're, as fans, we're. Uh, we're enjoying it the whole way through, and there's uh, I don't know, Josh. Did you have something? I'll, I'll just I'll just say like you know, the, it's already been announced that you know Thomas Ian Griffith is uh, coming back to to reprise his role as Terry Silver, and uh, you know, just my wife is an enormous fan of the Karate Kid. It's one of the things we bonded over, um, you know, when we met, and. I'm not sure if she's ever seen Karate Kid three, but she knows enough about Terry Silver from the you know the, the little bit of drumbeat online about people. Oh, when's Terry Silver coming? When's Terry Silver coming? And sometime between seasons three and four, I think she said to me, "You know, you're not bringing this Silver person, you know, back. You know, are you? Like, you know, how could how could this thing, you know, this idea, this character from the, you know the third movie?" Um, carry you know weight and and outdo any of the the emotion that you're you're building and I'll just say based on we know what we shot we know what we wrote we know what we made and uh, I think that the Terry Silver experience is going to um, catch a lot of people uh, off guard and uh, and could not be more excited uh, for people to see where where season four is headed. All right, do we have uh, ETA yet? I know you you guys are editing it right now. Uh... We're in the throes of it. We're in we're in post production. We got a few more mixes uh, in front of us, um, but we are we are heading toward the end of post production, and then it is in the hands of uh, of our Netflix partners uh, to to let everybody know when it's coming. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, looking forward uh, to it. I will. I will add one other thing. You know, you talked about topping ourselves each season, so. I, I do think that we topped ourselves, you know, with season four's, uh, you know, this where that where that all goes in terms of like you want those big like end of season moments, 
Um, and and I, you know, we, I think everybody was thinking after season two and season three, how do you do that while keeping this, you know, somewhere somehow tethered to reality? And um, I, I just can't wait for fans to check out the where where it all leads. John, you have any uh, final uh, hints or thoughts? <laughs> I, I, I've, I've been trying to be very careful over here. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, uh, there's an All-Valley tournament coming. That's something that uh, there's no secret of. And, uh, you know, we were really proud of what we accomplished in the first All-Valley that we filmed in season one. And what I can say is that this next All-Valley tournament is even more special. There's... Uh, you know, in season one, there were there were a lot fewer characters that, that you were emotionally connected to in that tournament. And now over the course of, you know, four seasons, you've gotten to know a lot of different uh, students and senseis. And uh, it's it's a, it's a spectacular um, uh, event that the All Valley Committee put on this year. And uh, I think we, we we did it justice in 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 filming it, and, and but they uh, they deserve their credit. Uh, they deserve yeah, their no, credit. They, the All Valley yeah. Committee. They they put hard. The, the uh, we won't say what what color mats there are. We cannot give no, away that spoiler. because that's yeah. always a spoiler because that, that's very important within uh, within the karate community. But uh, we will say that it's when 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 the tournament comes around. I think people are going to really uh, enjoy what they see. And uh, does Johnny join TikTok this season? Does he learn any more social media, or we'll, we'll we'll just have to wait and see? So. He's on that traje- He's on that trajectory for sure. He every season he's he's getting a little bit more uh, tech savvy. So we'll see. He's still right. got a long way to go, though. We do. We do. He's he's got to got to got to hit uh, uh, Instagram first. Um, <laughs> well, John Hayden, Josh. A pleasure. Congratulations again on the nomination and uh, looking forward to season four. Best to all three of you. Cool. Yeah, thanks so much, Michael. Thank you. That's Josh Heald, John Hurwitz, and Hayden Schlossberg, executive producers of Cobra Kai, now streaming on Netflix. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Daniel Terciano and Jazz Tanke, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today. 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.